Hi there. Before I get to the episode, I want to take a moment to address the June 24th Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. This decision stripped away the legal right to have a safe and legal abortion. Restricting access to comprehensive reproductive care, including abortion, threatens the health and independence of all Americans. This decision could also lead to the loss of other rights. To learn more about what you can do to help, go to podvoices.help. I encourage you to speak up, spread the word, and please take care. Now on to the conversation. Ah, yeah, there you are. Okay, sorry. It took me a while. <laughs> no problem, no problem. How was your trip? Oh, it was really nice. Um, <laughs> I went to the community of writers, so I'm glad we're talking about community today. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah, no worries. So, is it okay if we begin at the beginning? Where does your story begin? <laughs> <laughs> it's a big question, but mostly, I guess in terms of writing, it begins also with my mother's story is why I guess I so intimately write about her mm. and I grew up in India and I lived there for I've lived there for the most part of my life still mm. and I moved to the United States to pursue my MFA in creative writing mm. okay so how I came to writing was through her and my and my environment, and then I moved to pursue it formally, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. So it seemed like uh, your family was generally pretty involved in the arts then. Not all of them, just my mother, and she pushed me to <laughs> write because I was not, no, not all of them at all. Actually, it was mostly like everyone else is like, no, don't do it. And she was like, do it. <laughs> So you ha- you were surrounded by a lot of realists who said, what, what is the need for, for the arts or creativity in your life? What was it? Yeah. yeah. Mostly, I think most of my family felt that you won't be able to make a career out of it. And also that it's really hard to make a living out of a language. I remember my father saying, it's just a language. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, he's not wrong. <laughs> So you had to make a case for yourself, do you think? Like you started rationalizing things to yourself or did the doubt not really get to you? No, it did get to me. I think in the beginning, that's why I did not pursue English literature. So for my undergrad, I studied journalism instead Mm. because it was a more viable way. They were like accommodative in the sense that they were like, sure, if you don't want to study the sciences or like go into commerce, Mm -hmm. that's fine because that's what most people were doing. I still studied science until like grade 12. <laughs> That's how the division is like in India. You can like pick and choose. Mm. So I studied it until the very end of my high school. And then I was like, um, I really can't do this anymore. And then they were like, <laughs> <laughs> also because I was tremendously failing. <laughs> and I think that led to more self-doubt about if I could even write because I didn't have the space to explore it, except like, you know, on a personal level, I was not like practicing it, putting it out, or like I didn't have readers, basically, Yeah. even um, within the family or right. friends who were reading for me. Yeah. And I think um, having that like switch to journalism helped me because 
I then found like at least an audience or like a group of people who were interested in playing with language in a different way, sure. but more interested. Yeah. And that really helped me. And I realized I liked writing opinion pieces a whole lot <laughs> more than <laughs> I liked writing reporting. So did you feel like the structure of writing in that journalism medium allowed you to find a structure for poetry? Or is there is there very little overlap, do you think? I think there is overlap. I definitely feel like the brevity of the sentence and structure is something I definitely learn from journalism because the deadlines are often so tight mm. and because you're often pushed to like control word count in and also write neutrally is something that I really learned from journalism. Mm. And even though like poetry is the complete opposite application of that in some ways. I think why I'm interested in form so much in my writing is because of my journalism background, mm -hmm. because I had specific prompts I was often writing to. Yeah. Was there something specifically that you were covering when you were a journalist or did you, or do you still do that work? I still do that work in terms of opinion pieces, but yeah, I wasn't covering anything. I only like went to journalism school and worked for about a year and then came for my MFA. Ah, okay. I see. Because actually, I was going to mention, this is super random, but I think you uh, you did work for The Rumpus, right? Yes, I did. Yeah. So I found one of your interviews when I was prepping for another interview <laughs> for oh. um, for uh, Susan. Um, I, I think you may, have, oh, wow. you may have interviewed yeah. her. Yeah. Really amazing, amazing poet. But how does the interviewing or or researching or working in this field um, help you in terms of acquiring tools for poetry? I actually really love interviewing poets and especially other writers for even like different genres for like magazines. I'm actually doing two more interviews and I like to work in editorial in that sense. Mm -hmm. I'm doing two more interviews for The Offing in July and August. Mm -hmm. And it really helps me because I get to find community actually through the interviewing process mm. susan's book was something i was really moved by especially because it contemplated girlhood in a specific way mm -hmm. that with like a young narrator voice that i'm really interested in writing about mm. also so there was it was like finding a sister book almost <laughs> to like my own work right. and i really i really enjoyed like talking to her learning about her process and i think it helps you break out of what your process you think is and maybe like try what someone else does with their you know daily yeah or organization of a particular book or manuscript mm -hmm. and i think the same way about like do when i interview people from other genres who are not poets it's also like a process of building communication with them learning how differently they think because they're writing from a different perspective. Mm. So I think all in all, it helps me a lot to listen yeah. to them more like the transcribing even. <laughs> I know for a time, just personally, there was a, uh, there was a period of my life where I felt like I had to preserve my way of doing something. Mm. And I always wonder if other artists go through something like that, where you feel like, this is the way, like you kind of get in, in your own head a bit and you say, this is the way I've always done it. So I'm going to see it through this way. Um, yeah. Is that something that 
has ever happened to you in terms of like self-preservation of your of your craft because there's just too much going on or do you feel like you've always been fairly open about process and being flexible i think i have been fairly open about process but i agree with you on that i think because i i mean i understand when you say that how we get in our head about things because i think i do mm. and i think i lately actually have been making more effort to prevent my process in that sense mm. that i listen but sometimes when you know you're in a workshop and they're telling you something specific because i'm usually open to feedback mm. which and they're telling you something specific which interferes with your process or like your whole understanding of the work mm. is when like lately i've been thinking a lot about how i can listen but maybe not get in my head about it <laughs> right <laughs> so i think in that sense yes i have but only experienced it like really recently i would say and i've been thinking i guess i'm still thinking about the ways in which i can listen but still exercise some sort of self preservation for my own work in voice i have had a moment of that briefly when i was in undergrad and when i i i guess in terms of being told not to write a lot of translation or like explaining i have i was very clear that that is something i'm preserving but in other things like smaller things about the voice i think i'm only beginning to think about them because i'm still discovering what i guess discovering is not the right word but i'm still trying to like find what it means to sure. write the way i write sure do you recall any experiences in workshop that have really um tested you in a way that um redefine the way that you work the good ones or the bad ones <laughs> both i'm open to both i love hearing both of them <laughs> i think um, the good ones mostly really helped me i think that early on in workshop i did not understand a lot of form and it was really nice to have some or be in community with poets who understood it really well mm -hmm. and almost showed me that oh this is something that actually has a repetition that you can own to make a form mm. and i think that really has been an experience i admire having and i also like value so much because now i see it in my work and i see it in other people's work mm. and i think like learning to recognize that pattern is something that was really valuable to me and that i learned from other poets who were really trained in form and I think in terms of bad experiences I think the one thing I did struggle with was translation and like sometimes when I write about family and uh some of the comments I get are just unhelpful in terms of like mm -hmm. this is culturally different. Yeah. <laughs> I I guess those are just like things I think about but I'm also like Right. I I think of it as like blissful ignorance in the sense that it doesn't bother me or it doesn't irk me and I'm just like I know that you don't understand and it's totally fine. Mm. So yeah, and I, actually it's funny you mentioned that because I was I was curious of culturally where that gap is in in workshop and the processes that are in place for uh for developing work, especially poetry. Mm -hmm. And if you feel like there is room for what you have to say culturally. So I think you kind of started touching on that a bit. Yeah. Um I think that I feel like there's a lot of room for what I do in my work mm. 
I feel like I there are enough poets, thankfully, before me who've done that kind of work, and I've seen it on the page done by like really brilliant poets, mm. and I think that kinship I feel is much more stronger than the you know value of the feedback I get from workshop in terms of developing work, which is unhelpful mm. in those ways. Yeah. So I think that when I constantly read poets I admire and think are doing work or play with language in ways that fills in gaps in understanding, yeah. then I don't feel the obligation to stress so much over how I can make that bridge because I feel like I should just do the work and when the work's done, it'll be done. Mm. That That's lovely. Like, uh, you know that they're they are there on the horizon kind of guiding you in some way. But um, mm-hmm. do you feel like there are things in your work that just kind of expanding a little bit on this idea of things that don't translate, that maybe don't make that cultural change so much? What are some things that that are difficult to talk about culturally that you're aspiring to cover in your work? I think um, one of the things I do struggle with is the image I present of like or the expectation that I present this specific image of India, which is the whole image of India. Mm. And I think that feels like a burden I struggle with in my writing. I'm always like, I'm trying to say this specific thing, but despite because of the, I think, gap, like you said, or like the distance other people have from the culture, sometimes they interpret it as the only thing of that culture or the only thing. And I do write a lot about domestic violence or women's treatments. And I think some of it I'm almost really hesitant to do because of the way in which people perceive Indian women anyway. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And then I'm also like, so I guess there's always that battle between that and what is honestly my truth in the writing. Mm. And I've been trying to find ways of saying within the work some of those things that are not translatable. But I also think that the way they are on the page is to also create the experience of the non-translation because that is my experience in some ways. Mm. There are definitely going to be gaps in that communication because there's just so much that I imagine happens in one culture uh, and to bring all of that forward. I mean, there's always, there's always bound to be some pieces that are kind of left behind in a way, but um, Mm -hmm. this is, this is a very um, important issue, especially right now. And I appreciate you taking the time this week of all weeks because of the recent changes in the U S that have happened this week. is there an opportunity here? And I hate to use the word opportunity, but is there is there perhaps a way that poetry and the written word can help us process some of the things that are happening in the U.S. right now in regards to the changes in, in recent law? I think being in community this week was especially important to me because often in moments like this, when crisis hits so directly and in the face and affects like so many of us and especially like people I love so much it just makes me feel like nothing 
I'm doing in terms of the work of poetics is important anymore. Mm-hmm. And I felt that in the beginning of the pandemic where I was like, maybe I should have listened to my parents telling me I should be a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> and I think honestly that it was so important to be in community because it almost helped me process it because we went to bed one day and woke up with trigger laws in mm. states even the state that i went to school in and mm. my fr- one of my really close friends was at the community of writers with me she's also a poet megan gonzales mm. and she went back to a state where there were trigger laws in effect and i think just like holding each other was so important to me mm. and i think because i was in community with these poets who experienced these types of harms done towards women's bodies or people that do not come from privilege mm-hmm. so many times in their life histories that they them saying that find a way to process it through the writing actually helped me process it through the writing mm-hmm. so i i don't want to be saying that it will change the world or like that writing will help someone else process it mm-hmm. but i i think i can only speak personally for what it does for me and my friends or what it has done for me and my friends this past week is that being together has helped us think of ways in which we can make effort towards what can be done next mm-hmm. and also feel at least some sense of relief with even if it's like we have the space to cry together yeah. or write together Yeah. And I think that that ultimately is important because I don't think you can you I don't think you can fight this type of atrocity on people without having rest and music and I do think poetry gives you the space to do that and then go back mm-hmm. to the real world right. where you can do something more tangible about it in some ways. Mm. Absolutely. I do think that right now is the best time for community and it makes me wonder how you have come to find community or is this something that you didn't need to cultivate so much? Did community find you or did you have to persist and seek it out? I think I was really lucky in terms of when I moved from India to the United States. Mm-hmm. I had um, the MFA program contrary to many people's experience of it i now realize my program was really nurturing mm. the program director amy fleury she really created that sense of community and my year was really small where we were just two poets and two fiction writers and we clung to each other mm. in some way and then we found community through each other and then slowly through the incoming cohorts and i think that in my experience of it it was really organic and because we were in a place where in a city where there was not much else to do <laughs> there was there was the ultimate desire to be with each other mm. and write mm. so it it came really organically in my experience of it and i think like since i have moved to new york and i live here now i think it's been harder for me to find it here i, I found some in um not like in the sense of i don't have i have some amount of family here and that's been nice but in terms of 
a creative community, I've struggled with it more in a bigger city than I did in mm. Lake Charles. So yeah, yeah, I'm still seeking it. <laughs> no, it's funny how that happens. It makes me think of uh, when my wife and I moved to Seattle. I was raised in Wyoming, you know, Mexican raised in Wyoming. And we ventured yeah. out to Washington State where I, I did a little bit of theater there. And it got insanely harder. It became more difficult to find the time, to find the resources, to, to sort of embed yourself into any community because there's just like a series of different hardships that kind of throw rocks at the situation. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah, I figure that New York seems like the place that's big enough to accommodate for whoever's looking for any kind of community, right? It's just a matter of time. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm about to find out. Yeah. So I did notice that you have some, um, background in classical dance, traditional dance. Is that correct? Yes, that is. Yeah. So is there a through line between the work that you now do as a poet and that and certain traditions, cultural traditions that uh, you've studied or have kept with you? I really believe that my dancing informs my work mm -hmm. and I almost always, I still practice it. So mm -hmm. I feel like finding a bridge towards some like both things I do sometimes and like finding a way of maybe doing it together. I haven't found it yet, mm. but I do think that the, the dancing really informs the poetry, especially because um, I realized recently that often when sometimes they give me poetic terms, I try to scribble the equivalent terms of dancing in my notebook. Oh. And I think, they help me process things because I learned dancing first. I learned, I started learning when I was like seven oh, and wow. I learned, I was 18. Yeah. So that's a full, so, a full life of, of habit of, I don't say ritual, but just process, right? That's kind yeah. of ingrained. Yeah. So I think my brain still thinks about some things in a specific dancing way and like narrative. And I think that's probably why I lean more towards narrative because a lot of dancing is learning theory of like where it came from. I learned Bharatanatyam, mm. which is the classical dance of the state of Tamil Nadu in India. Mm. And it has like specific stories or specific gods that it's dedicated to mm. or tradition that it comes from. And so like I had to learn all of that theory because I am from the northern part of India. I see. Okay. So now that you're, uh, you're putting some work together, do some of those themes come through in the poetry or how would you define your poetry now if there is a style or perhaps preference, if you could elaborate a little bit on that? I think that the dancing does come through in the work and I've been trying to find like the right language to define the type of work I do, mm -hmm. but really all I can say is the work I'm doing right now. It's hard for me to zoom out and say, what I've written, but mm -hmm. I think the um, what I've been working on is my thesis manuscript, which is titled The Mother Wound, mm -hmm. and it explores the relationship between the mother-daughter and the speaker with living in con both countries. And I think that the kind of style it inherits because of the fragments in memory, in fragments because of trauma, fragments because of distance. It, I would say it's fragmented, but it follows form mm. in some ways yeah. and uses repetition to sort of 
create the effect of that longing. Mm. So it's a, a combined uh, project to bring together a lot of things that you, you've experienced or observed over, I guess, your travel, right? And your transition yeah. coming. Uh, yeah. It's, it's just fascinating because that seems like there's just a lot of things to cover there. Do you mm-hmm. have any kind of way in to the project or when you first started putting this together, was there something that drew you in first from all of these pieces? Um, I think that what I learned from Ada Limon this week is that I shouldn't be collecting a project. And I think I was doing some of that. Mm. It was nice to rethink about how it came about because the poems came about individually and then when i was like i have to put together a manuscript for my thesis i started putting things together and now i'm rewriting it in the sense that i know what i want the poems to do Mm. so i guess i'm rearranging with the intention or revising with the intention of it just doing the work on the page and in terms of the poems they just came individually for a long period of time mm-hmm. until I put them together, like last year. Oh, I see. So do you feel that this is still something that will take a bit of time to put together? Like it still needs to settle and calcify a little bit into into a project? Or do you feel pretty good about what you have so far? I think I feel pretty, pretty good about it just because I've spent the last year revising mm-hmm. in some ways. And... Not that I feel like it's done because I don't think I'll ever feel that way. So I feel like I want to do maybe like one or two more months of looking at it and then trying to send it out because I don't think it's helping to hold on to it. Just so like, you know, hold on to things. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's, that's lovely. Well, it'll be uh, wonderful, you know, when that gets out into the world and I hope that it all goes well with that process. I just got a couple more questions here to be mindful of your time, but I'm curious, because I'm drawn to this sense of home and integrating Mm -hmm. that into my daily life, what are some things that remind you of home that you like to keep with you on a day-to-day basis? Um, I think that in big and small ways, and I'm so scared this will sound like a cliche now in my (laughs) head, but I'm like, flowers, I think, and color Mm. really remind me of home, especially flowers, because I grew up in um, an area where the there are no houses opposite our house, mm. and it's just like a patch of green, <laughs> and there's like flowers. So I think what physically reminds me or tethers me back to home is often flowers, and I'm only now learning how to recognize them mm. in this part of the world, in this specific <laughs> place, so I can feel more grounded yeah, <laughs> in some yeah. way here. You think it's helpful to learn language? Yeah, yeah. For like what you're seeing, <laughs> <laughs> and that's a that's a beautiful thing. I just think that it's necessary, right, to sort of keep track of that north star, if you will. Um, but maybe that's a preoccupation that is not really necessary, because I know some folks who they're you know who are more comfortable leaving certain bits of their life behind and moving forward mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. Do you feel like there is a there's a part of you that behaves that way, or do you feel like it's important to hold on to those things strongly? I I think I don't feel strongly about it, but I I also don't feel like I don't I feel comfortable leaving it is why I'm here. Mm-hmm. And I think 
I think I can feel comfortable holding something yet I can hold something tenderly in my mind because of what it meant to be there. Yeah. So I feel immense amount of gratitude for like whatever experiences I had there, the good ones of course, yeah. and I feel very safe leaving it behind too because I feel like it has given me distance to look at myself in a way I was not when I was there. Right, right. So just two more questions here. I know that you have a workshop coming up and I'm going to make sure to get this episode out so that folks can be aware of what's going on there. Is this something that's going to be happening here next week or could you give me a little bit more info on that one? Yeah, I'm teaching a decolonizing poetry workshop and it's with Catapult. I basically teach poetic form there and re, um, it's a reoccurring class. So if you don't catch it this time or if it's moved, because of summer enrollment, it might be moved to August, actually. Oh, okay. But I'm also teaching a class in August for eco-poetics and poetry mm. with the Nebraska Poetry Society. So I guess I, I'm teaching two things parallelly. One of them is just a poetic form class mm. and looking at non-Western forms with Catapult. And then I'm teaching the Nebraska Poetry Society class, which is eco-poetics and the poetics and it's just a three-hour seminar which explores what it means to write about the climate crisis in a time like this oh that's lovely and i'm sorry that we didn't get a chance to talk about it but i just think that it's remarkable work to be able to share that perspective with people because it is a pressing issue is there anything mm -hmm. that is particularly on your mind about that now the in terms of climate change and the things that are essential to be considered right now I think that there is such a sense of urgency in my headspace to act. And I think that I see it in the work of other poets and that it keeps coming up in big and small ways. So I'm really interested in trying to understand what our collective anxieties are about the climate crisis mm. through poetry, because I think poets often do the work of mobilizing their community mm -hmm. to locally to just do something about it in small and big ways so yeah yeah wonderful to hear and one last thing i've been asking folks this all morning and i feel like i, I kind of generated a theme based on this week unfortunately uh there's there's a lot of heartbreak this week and mm. perhaps a sense of deep fear of what's to come mm. and i've been asking all the creatives that I've been talking to this morning, how they intend to overcome fear or something to that effect. And so I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. How have you overcome fear in the past and how do you think we could do that moving forward? I think that for me, I have always overcome it by writing. I write about things I'm mostly scared to acknowledge. And I think what helps is feeling seen in the writing and what how I do that is by community. So now I feel like I'm repeating myself, but <laughs> honestly, the only thing I feel safe in is community that thinks what is happening is wrong and unnecessary. And I, I feel like this week, I feel more rage than scared, honestly, mm. that I don't usually feel so angry at things. Mm. I feel a deep sense of anger this week and I'm still trying to find 
ways in which I can use it to productively, I guess, to channelize it to do something mm. about the situation. Yeah. And you're, and, oh, I'm sorry to, to interject, but it does feel, yeah, you're spot on in that perhaps my immediate response is, is a kind of sadness and fearfulness of what's to come, but there is a, a need for rage and mm-hmm. for strength during mm-hmm. this time. So perhaps that, that was probably the better question all along. So maybe I'll ask you once more and, <laughs> and redirect it just a moment because it is about rage and it is about strength. Mm-hmm. So one last thought to add on there if you, <laughs> if you wanted to expand yeah. on that. Yeah, I guess like with the rage I feel, I feel I can really channelize it in some ways, not immediately, but to do real work in finding community, in finding ways of doing something about it. I also think that I feel rage because I don't know if I'm I'm not on the um, visa or citizenship status where I'm allowed to protest. Mm. So I think I feel a deep sense of rage from that helplessness too. Mm. So I don't think it's rage just driven by strength. It's also rage driven by grief and in some ways my inability to be actually able to protest or do things I really want to do because I'm ultimately a part of legality and system Mm. so I think I'm deeply like thinking about those things and what it means to want something in your art life that takes up so much space from your living Mm. well I just want to thank you once again for your time for the work that you're doing and for sharing this perspective because I think that we're going to need it a lot in the coming months, years, or however long the uh, struggle unfortunately continues. But it's really been such a pleasure getting to talk to you and to learn more about you and your work. So I I really can't thank you enough for your time. And I hope that we catch up on the internet. (laughs) I hope so too. And thank you for talking with me. And thank you for holding space for these topics of, you know, hurt. Mm -hmm. I think that what also has been weird or strange this past week has been not having the conversation so i so appreciate you holding space for it and almost asking everybody you talk to because i'm sure it's really hard for you to talk about these things too and and you know like you said it makes it easier to manage to some degree to be vocal Mm -hmm. and to be present in in what's happening so thank you again so much for your time and uh you know let me know if there's any other project coming up and i'd love to continue the conversation but I wish you the best and hope we get to talk soon. Same here. Thank you. Goodbye. Take care. Hey there. Before I go, I just wanted to thank you for listening to the podcast. If you're enjoying Arts Calling, please consider rating and reviewing the podcast wherever you listen to these episodes. Every little bit helps to bring awareness about these wonderful artists that we're featuring on this podcast. And don't forget to say hi. I'm over on Twitter at CruiseFolio, and I would love to hear from you, love to know what you're working on, and I wish you the best in life and craft. Make art, make haste, and much love.